Hello, everyone, and welcome to our sixth podcast in our national conversation series about customer service in the U.S. I'm Denise Waiters with J.D. Power, and with me today is Dan Gingis. Dan is a customer experience and marketing expert and an international keynote speaker who helps brands create remarkable experiences for their customers. Thank you for joining me today, Dan. Oh, it's so exciting, Denise. I've been waiting for this conversation and can't wait to talk to you. Me too. Me too. So, Dan, we started this national conversation about customer service a few months ago because next month, J.D. Power will publish our first ever cross-industry customer service study. And we've gathered feedback for over 100 brands and across multiple industries to better understand what top performers are doing and what a good experience looks and feels like from a customer perspective. And I can tell you that I'm really excited about what this study will reveal because customer expectations, as you know, are continually rising. And I believe this is in part because of what we had to endure during the pandemic, but also because technology has enabled and paved the way to better deliver service. So the basis of this cross-industry study is that a good experience anywhere influences expectations everywhere. And our thinking is that customers don't really compartmentalize industries when they want to interact with a brand. You know, if they need to call their cable or insurance company, they're not thinking about it by industry. They just want to contact the brand, get their issue resolved or their question answered, and either the brand does a good job with that or not. So that's what I found from my experience and my walk in the industry, and it's substantiated from our studies and our data here at J.D. Power. So Dan, you've been a practitioner of customer service and customer experience and have been in the industry for over 20 years. And I also understand that you led the team that won the JD Power Award for customer satisfaction when you were at Discover. So, you know, it's always good to speak with others, especially those of you have been who've been in the trenches when talking about the customer experience. So if you will, give us a little about your background and some of your learnings about customer experience from working at Discover and McDonald's and Humana. You know, what was similar and what was different? Well, Denise, you hit on why I was so excited to talk with you because, uh, yes, I am a, a proud former J.D. Power Award winner. And, uh, and, and that was really, truly one of the pinnacle moments of my corporate career. And we can get into that a little bit more later. But uh, I spent, as you mentioned, over 20 years uh, in corporate America, mostly in the marketing department uh, and then evolving into customer experience. I like to say today that uh, marketing is in my head and customer experience is in my heart. And so I still today sit at the intersection of those two things because I am a very strong believer that the very best marketing is when your customers are singing your praises to other people, word of mouth. And I believe the very best way to generate word of mouth is through a remarkable customer experience. So uh, it's a it's been a long, fun path for me. Uh, I went off on my own in 2019 and started the Experience Maker. My joke to people now, which uh, uh, you know only a few people on earth can use, is that I like working for the Dan better than I liked working for the man. Uh, and so I hope to uh, continue down that path uh, and inspire lots of other people to 
not only love customer experience, but to understand that it doesn't have to be difficult or expensive. It's really just about the way that you think of each customer interaction. And you said something wonderful before, which was that customers don't look at a single interaction in a vacuum. They compare it to all the other interactions that they've had with all the other companies they've had. And I think sometimes organizations think that's unfair, but you know what? Life isn't fair all the time. And so if you are a B2B company trying to sell someone on your new software, and last night they went out to dinner with a loved one and had a terrific meal and a wonderful experience, that might be what you're getting compared against today. And you've got to be ready for that. That's right. That's right. So, so Dan, I, I, it's exciting to work for the Dan and not the man. I like that. That was cute. <laughs> so, Dan, so what needs to be true for a customer to be loyal and want to share how they feel about a brand? What needs to be true? The experience either needs to be really, really good or really, really bad. We don't talk right. about average, ordinary, uh, what my millennial friends call meh, what my Gen Z kids call mid. It all means the same thing, right? It, it's an experience that isn't worth talking about. And so we only share really good or really bad. Uh, what I'm excited about and some of the research that was the basis of my book is that customers are actually more willing to share positive experiences than they are negative ones. They want to share positive experiences. And I think all you have to do is, is scroll through Instagram to see what I mean. People want to share the best versions of themselves. They want to share the best things that have happened to them. And so when you give someone that kind of experience, they want to tell other people. Now, the flip side of this uh, data, which is a little bit scary, says that two-thirds of customers can't remember the last time that any brand exceeded their expectations. And so if that's true, that explains why we don't see more positive mentions of companies, because most people can't name a single company that really surprised and delighted them. The opportunity there, of course, for everybody watching or listening is you can be that company. You can be the one that exceeds expectations and that people want to talk about in a positive way. Yes, that's exciting. And you're so right. You know, my children um, are, are growing up in the TikTok age and you don't know how many videos they send me about their experience. And this is what I want you to cook because this is what I, you know, they delivered at the restaurant. It were great. And I've got this new coffee company now because they saw it on TikTok. So now that's where I go. I mean, so you're right. They are willing and share all the time their wonderful experiences um, out there. So so you're right. Times are changing and, and brands need to change with it. Absolutely. I will say this, though, Denise, my teenage daughter uh, often has me try to make some of these things on TikTok and we try to make them together. They never look as good as on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. They do a good job with marketing that stuff, too, right? <laughs> they do. They do. But mm -hmm. we'll keep trying and eventually maybe we'll, uh, we'll, we'll make it look just as nice. We'll get there, Dan. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dan, so, Dan, what are some of the simple things that a company can do to eliminate customer pain? pain points and reduce friction and, and customer effort. So I want to talk about two things here. The first thing is that to me, the leading companies are able to combine two different facets of customer experience into one view. 
One facet, which you're very well familiar with, is called voice of the customer, which is what are customers telling you about their experience? These are the words that they're using either on a customer service call or in a survey response, or, or some people have uh, you know surveys or, or little um, uh, communications that you can make right on their website or chat sessions, social media. All of this is voice of the customer. It's people telling you, this is what I like and don't like about the experience. What we have to then meld that with is what I call instead of VOC, and with apologies to the Congresswoman from New York, I call AOC, which is actions of the customer. So you have the voice of the customer on one side and you have the actions of the customer on the other. Well, where do we get that data? That's from analyzing our website and our mobile app and looking at the traffic patterns and where do people go and how long do they sit on a page and where do they click and which order of pages do they go to? These are all actions of the customer. And the reason why we need both of these is that sometimes uh, as I believe Steve Jobs was uh, fond of saying, customers don't know what they want, right? They don't know, oh, I want an iPhone before an iPhone exists. So while they will tell us great stuff, we also want to see how they are using our products and services in their current form so that we can learn from that and, and get ideas from that. When we put these two together, we have both a quantitative and a qualitative look at the customer journey. And that's where we start to find the places that, as you mentioned, are either pain points or little barriers that we put up that really aren't difficult to remove if you just pay attention to them. And actually, Denise, that is one of the main things that, that we did at Discover in the year that we won JD Power is we had we were relentless about removing customer pain points, about little barriers, especially on the website that just stand in people's way. Because as I used to tell my team and, you know, sometimes they didn't like hearing it, but I, I like to say it like it is. No one wakes up in the morning wanting to go to their credit card website. No, one. no, no. So, one. <laughs> so our job is to help them get out of there as fast as possible because we know they don't want to be there. And so, you know, if we're hitting them with pop-up ads and we're trying to redirect them in different places because we want to cross-sell them on something, that's the opposite of trying to help them get it done quickly. And so we had a, a really a relentless focus on get the job done and go about the rest of your day because we understand you don't want to be here. That's fine. Well, you know, that's interesting. And that's, that's key because I know so many companies that collect customer feedback and don't act on it. And so what's the point? So what I'm hearing is that you actually acted on it and it, it makes a difference, right? It's like, don't ask me or don't request feedback if you're not going to respond to it. So absolutely, you on that. It's, it's the same thing as, as big data in general. You know, I did, a, I did my own little study a couple of years ago. Um, I opened up 30 apps on my phone on my birthday. Because I will, and these were all companies that I know know my birthday because I've given them my license or I filled out a form. Think bank accounts, credit card companies, hotels, airlines, social media platforms, all of them. I opened up 30 apps on my birthday because I wanted to see how many of them were going to wish me a happy birthday. <laughs> and how many, and how many people did it? Two. Wow. Two wished me a happy birthday. One social media platform and one bank. Now, every one of these people have this data, but for some reason, they're deciding not to use it. And it's very similar, as you just said, 
to customer feedback that you collect and collect and collect, but you don't ever do anything with it. And that can be frustrating for a lot of reasons, because as a customer, I know I've given you feedback and I also know nothing's changed. So, so that's, so it's good that you're saying that. So I have another question for you, Dan, should there be a difference in customer service when serving customers that are more transactional in nature versus those customers that actually have a relationship with the brand? How should brands think about this? Because you know it costs money to to do things well. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think this one is sometimes a slippery slope, uh, but I appreciate the question. The first thing I would say is, I believe that today's consumer, by and large, prefers a relationship over a transaction. I think that the millennial generation really started this and pushed it, and Gen Z has followed, and even Gen Xers like me have said, yeah, actually, it's kind of cool to have a relationship with a brand. And I believe the source of this is actually social media, because when you and I were growing up, if we wanted to communicate with a brand we could write them a letter, I guess, but like there wasn't really a, a, a solid way for us to get a hold of a brand. And, and certainly nobody calls the, the, con- the toll-free number just to say, hey, I love you, you're doing a great job. But then social media came out and now all of a sudden you could have a two-way conversation with some of your favorite brands and people really liked that. So I would argue that, that there's becoming less of a distinction between transactional and relational because most customers today want relational. That all said, the real question that you're asking is, do you provide a different experience for your most loyal customers, for the ones that spend the most with you, that are uh, in the highest loyalty tier and all of that thing? And I think that is okay. I think I think the airlines have kind of mastered this, right? It is simply, and, and as a guy who travels uh, all the time for, for keynote speeches, I've hit, uh, you know, certain elite statuses on airlines. And I will admit, it's a pretty nice deal, right? You get a lot of benefits and they do treat you in a way that that is um, sort of indicative of your loyalty. One of my uh, favorite bosses at Discovery used to say, loyalty goes both ways. And I always thought this was such a really important statement because it's like friendship, right? You know, friendship can't go only one way. It has to go two ways. And that's the same thing with loyalty. And I think what customers want today is if they are loyal to a company, they want the company to be loyal back. And the company can show that loyalty by the way that they treat their most loyal customers. Yes, you're right. And you're right. That was kind of a slippery slope question because... You do want to treat those customers that seem to love you with a little bit more care, but it is, but, but you have to treat all of them right, right? In order to de- develop those customers. So yeah, it, it, it's kind of hard. It's, there is a balance there, right? Yes, of course. A, a portion of those uh, flyers that haven't hit an elite status yet are going to hit it at some point, right? right. And a portion mm-hmm. of the ones that are sitting at gold are going to end up at platinum. And and we want everybody to move up those ranks. That's the idea is, is that means they're spending more with us. That means they're choosing our company more often over our competitors. And so we definitely want to encourage that. And in order to encourage it, we still have to provide a great experience for them. But to me, it's about the little extras. And um, and those and, and this is where when I say that customer experience does not have to be difficult or expensive, I don't believe that little extras have to be difficult or expensive either. 
Um, it's just, it's this little extra touch that makes you memorable. One example is uh, when I worked for Humana, uh, I live in Chicago and Humana is based in Louisville, Kentucky. So I was uh, kind of commuting down there quite often, twice a month. Um, and so I was staying at the same hotel and you know, two things happened that I thought were really interesting. The first was that after a little while, I could walk in the front door of that hotel and by the time I was halfway to the front desk, the person behind the desk was already saying, welcome back, Mr. Gingas. That felt pretty good. And then one thing that they did that I absolutely loved is one night when I was there, I went up to the room and instead of there being like a, a mint on the pillow, there was a miniature bottle of Maker's Mark bourbon because of course, Louisville is bourbon country. And I thought that was such a clever touch and such a nice little gesture. It probably cost him about $2, $2.50 to do, but it, it reminded me that I was in Louisville, that I was in bourbon country. Uh, so it, it sort of made sense from the overall experience. And I thought, man, that's just an, a really neat little way to stand out. Uh, and so the, the things that we do for customers and even for our most loyal customers, they don't have to cost millions of dollars. They just have to be different and, and unique as compared to the experience that everybody else gets. I agree with you on that. I think I think you're right about that. That is a special touch. It feels so um, authentic and genuine when you receive something like that from a brand or from a company in an area that in it's local to that experience. It's so special. It is. Yeah. And if you, if you think about how many people travel for business and, you know, I've had countless trips where I've never left the hotel. Right. And so to have something, whatever it is, wherever you happen to be based, just a little taste, a little experience of the city that you're in, something to remind you of, you know, that, that you're in a cool spot um, that can go a really long way, but it doesn't have to be, uh, particularly expensive or, uh, you know, a huge deal. I always joke when I'm on stage that, you know, if you really want to create an extraordinary experience, hire Beyonce for a private concert for all of your customers and, you know, maybe follow it with a fireworks show. That would be pretty fun. But, you know, most companies don't have $80 million lying around just <laughs> waiting to work on a, on a customer experience initiative. And so it doesn't have to be that extreme. It can absolutely be uh, much more approachable uh, and it is the simple gestures that people most often remember. I agree with that. So so let's segue into technology, Dan. So let's talk about IVR containment for, for a moment. Um, we analyze brands often, and it seems like many companies gauge their, their IVR, and for those that are not familiar with that jargon, their phone systems. It seems like they gauge their IVR and their phone system success based on how many customers they can contain in that system versus zeroing out to an operator. But um, there are some customers that just hang up when they and they don't want to be bothered and they get frustrated. What have you observed about IVR containment and the desire for companies to, to not have customers reaching their contact center agents, but trying to deliver service through those systems? Well, I think like anything, it is about listening to your customers. And so when I was at Discover, if you pressed one on the IVR, it was to hear your balance and your most recent transactions. That was actually very intentional because a large portion of people called to hear their balance and their most recent transactions. And then they would listen to it and they'd hang up. 
Now you might ask, well, why don't they go to the website or why don't they go to the mobile app? The answer is because they didn't, because that's not where they want to go. They want to call and hear it. They've done that for a hundred years and they want to keep doing it. And so that was the number one choice because most people picked it. I think after that, if you don't, you know, if you have one of those, great. You know, if you can allow people to self-serve in any channel, that's a success, not just because it saves the company money, but because it makes the customer happy. They, they came to you trying to answer a question. They got their question answered. They go about their day. Everybody's happy. After that, though, I think it becomes, if we're being honest, that almost everyone else calling wants to talk to a human. And so to me, it becomes how quickly can you get them to a human being? And offering 17 choices uh, is not the way to do that. Um, I, I'm sort of in the middle of a blog post in my head about this idea that every single company on the planet says, please listen to our options because our menu options have changed. Why has every company on the planet changed their menu options? Like, that's, that's unbelievable to me. But the reality is that's them trying to contain. That is not them trying to get you to a human being. And I'm a believer that the answer is if somebody is taking the time to call, they want to talk with somebody. Um, and you can give them those one or two options that a lot of people choose and then get them to a human. A guy way smarter than I uh, once said, and, and I quoted him in my book, customer service is what happens when customer experience breaks. We don't need customer service if the experience is perfect. Because again, nobody calls customer service just to say, hey, you guys are doing a great job. So if you, if you think about it from the perspective of something has already broken, we have already not met the customer's expectations. And so now you, the answer is, let's try to keep them in the IVR instead of letting them talk to a human. I don't think that's a good answer at all. I think the answer is, let's try to solve their problem as quickly as possible, because this is our opportunity to retain them and sometimes to even turn them into an advocate. Because we've all heard these stories of people who have a problem and th that is resolved effectively often become bigger advocates of the company than people that never had a problem in the first place. And the reason for that is pretty simple. We all want to work with companies that we know have our back. You know, so we, we want to feel like, hey, if something goes wrong, this company is going to be there for me. And so when companies prove that by solving a problem real fast, we feel that way and we become more loyal. That's right. And we, it, it, sometimes you, it's unfortunate that it has to happen that way, but it does work that way. Once you work with me and I know that you care about me because you resolved my issue after I complained, that's when I become really loyal. So it's kind of weird that it has to happen that way, but it is true. So Absolutely. true. So, so Dan, what about our newer technology? So we're talking about IVR, but what about some of the newer technology? How is that shaping customer behavior? I know everyone's talking about chatbots and chat GPT. How is this newer technology supporting or not supporting customer service? Well, it's going to depend on how companies use this new technology. And you know, there are many companies that like to chase shiny objects. And so if it's new, we want to be the first ones there and we want to, you know, test it out and what have you. And I think that's fine. It is okay to be first to market on some of this stuff, but we cannot lose sight of the customer. And so we have to keep asking ourselves, how does this technology impact our existing customer experience? Do our customers want this technology? Or is it just something that we feel we want? And resist the, uh, the temptation to immediately jump to, 
oh my gosh, chat GPT, now we can fire the whole customer service team because we could just have the robots do it. Like, or, and the marketing team too, because right, it can write all the marketing copy. And because the companies that jump to those conclusions super fast, they almost always, 100%, in fact, 100% end up backpedaling because they realize this isn't a, a, you know, a one and done solution that solves every problem you've ever had. And so I, I tend to like to tiptoe into them and I like to see how do customers react. There is absolutely a place for chatbots. There's a place for AI. There's a, there's a place for machine learning. And ChatGPT, I think, can do a lot of great things for companies. None of those things can replace human beings or should replace human beings because I think we are a long, long way from customers being willing to do business only with computers and robots. I think we want to do business with humans. Yeah. And, you know, I I agree with that because I remember when technology came out for the travel agents, I was uh, working for, um, you know, American Express back then. And we had a travel industry and we were all concerned about how Expedia and Travelocity and companies like that would impact the brand. And so I was reading up on what was happening in the industry And, you know, we still have travel agents and the same thing with real estate. I mean, I remember when Zillow came out, there was such a scare about how Zillow was going to impact the industry. And although today customers go to Zillow first, um, you still need real estate agents. And so I think we need to learn from those examples. And although those are specific industries and chat GPT, you know, comprises many industries, it's still the same concept that industries don't go away or not, they don't necessarily go away. You just have to work with the technology um, in a different way. And you may have to change the way you're doing things, but people will never go away. <laughs> yeah, at least not for a really long time. And, and it is it, it goes back to what I said before about people wanting a relationship with a brand. It's really hard to establish a relationship with a robot. So, that's right. You know, if that's what people want, you put a robot in front of them, they're not going to get it. That's right. They're not getting it with a robot. So, so Dan, tell us about your latest book, The Experience Maker, how to create remarkable experiences that your customers can't wait to share. As I said, I, I love to live at the intersection of marketing and customer experience. Uh, it's why I had the great Ann Hanley, who is uh, just the marketing guru of marketing gurus, write the foreword, uh, because I really wanted to convince people this is a customer experience book, but that customer experience is marketing, and marketing is customer experience, and, and we've got to look at them together. So the book, I introduce uh, my methodology that I call Wiser, uh, so that everybody is wiser to the power of customer experience. And it's five steps to how to create the kinds of experiences that, you know, we've all had them as consumers where no one tells you to pull out your phone. You just do it because there's something cool right in front of you and you got to get a picture of it. You got to get a video of it because you want to share it with someone. And maybe you're sharing it to a million followers on social media, or maybe you're just sharing it with your parents or your kids or your significant other or some friends at work. doesn't matter. The point is, is you are capturing a moment and you are telling people about it. And that's word of mouth marketing. So the book really walks through how do you do this as a company? Uh, and every example that I share, I don't know, there's got to be 40, 50 different examples in the book. They all go through the same three filters based on my time in corporate America. They're simple, they're practical, and they're inexpensive. 
So no suggestions to hire Beyonce uh, with due respect to Beyonce, but no, <laughs> no suggestions of that magnitude in this book. It, mm-hmm. These are all simple, practical and inexpensive ways that any company can start doing more interesting, fun, memorable things for their customers. That's good. And that's what they're all looking for too, right? So that's, that's good. Hopefully you get tangible advice on what you can do tomorrow to improve or elevate the customer experience. Absolutely. That's where it's at. All right. So, so Dan, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, our cross-industry customer service study will be published in a few months. And the brands include financial services and auto and health insurance, hospitality, wireless and internet, utilities, and so forth and so on. Just for fun, because I'm asking all my podcast guests this question, can you predict which industries might rise to the top? Oof, wow. Um, well, that's fun. Uh, I can tell you I've been a part of uh, a couple of industries that are probably not real high up there, which are uh, financial services and uh, healthcare. care. Um, I'm going to go with uh, hopefully one that that your other guests haven't mentioned before, and we'll see if that improves my chances. I'm going <laughs> to go with consumer electronics. Because I think that it is an industry led by Apple, of course, that has done such a great job of creating products that don't even need instruction booklets anymore. Remember when when we were younger, you'd buy even like a calculator. It would come with this really thick instruction book. Now now these things just come in beautiful boxes and you open them up and turn them on and they work. And they work. It's amazing. And they work. You you can hand an iPad to a three-year-old and you can hand an iPad to a 95-year-old and they both understand immediately how to use it. And I and so that's that's where I'm putting my big bucks down is I think consumer electronics is going to be uh, one of your leading categories, if not the leading category. Okay. Well, Dan, thank you so much for that. We're going to call it a wrap for today. We appreciate you joining. I appreciate you joining and for participating in our national conversation. And I thank you for sharing your insight and hope you will join us again. I would love to. Thank you, Denise. It's been a ton of fun and I cannot wait to see that report uh, because it definitely sounds fascinating. I, it's like uh, it's like when they do on uh, America's Got Talent, they bring back all the winners and they compete against each other. That's kind of what it feels like to me. So I'm excited for it. Well, good. It's my, been my pleasure to, to talk with you today, Dan. And to all of our listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in as well. If you'd like more information on today's topic, please visit us on our website at jdpower.com forward slash business. Till next time.